Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Today's guest is Peter Panagor. He is a best-selling international author, counselor, storyteller, speaker, community pastor, TV star, two-dime, near-death experiencer, and more. Peter, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate you giving me some of your time today. I know you are a very busy man, so thank you. Thank you, Jeff. I've been looking forward to talking to you for a while, so I'm pretty psyched. All right, me too. Can we first just um, start, and can you give us a little bit of background about your NDEs? Sure. Um, When I was 21 years old, I froze to death while climbing in Western Canada and Alberta, ice climbing, and I made a mistake. And that mistake cascaded into a harrowing situation mm-hmm. uh, in which I, f- I froze to death in the middle of the night. Um, oh, wow. And the second time, that was the first time, the second time was a heart attack in 2015, uh, a family genetic thing, mm-hmm. and uh, died in the ambulance on the way to the catheterization lab. Wow. Both times, I chose to come back. So you were given the choice. Uh, I asked for the choice the first time and I took the choice the second time. Hmm. I wasn't, I didn't like the second time I didn't like ask, can I go back? I just kind of turned around. All right. Well, I've heard about that. You said that in your first NDE, you went into a unitive state. What do you mean by that? After I died and I I was carried through the tunnel by the angel of death, uh, which was more like an intelligence a compassionate intelligence uh, that that had no corporeality. And I was brought into um, a heaven, uh, and this was an infinity and illuminated darkness. I went through a hell of my own making. I self-judged, guilty. I suffered all the pain I gave away. Um, the voice, I, call, I called it the voice because it was telepathic and surrounded me and inside of me, but it forgave me. It, it loved me. And then it infilled me with uh, this combination of, of bliss, paradise, wholeness, healing, love, joy, adoration, awe, uh, intelligence, knowledge, wellness of being, all as one thing and kind of flowed inside of me and infilled me, inflated me. And I, I, was, I lost myself. I became Peter pretty much vanished, mm-hmm. left behind, gone. <clears throat> and I was, I could see that I was, I was shown the, 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 the origin of my being, not, not, not Peter, but the, the birth of my soul. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, 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 I describe it as a photon, a singular photon that's superpositioned, a wave and a particle at the same time. And it was both part of the all of the the light itself and yet separate from it I, I was still i was still not infinity in the presence of infinity i was a form of limitedness but i was also the same as it's paradoxical it's it's left and right at the same time it's up and down in the same space uh, it's difficult to conceptualize 
Yeah, it's very. Right. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Basic. Oh, no, 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 no. Go, please go. I was. It's very interesting that you said that because I've learned before that what we are as a spiritual being, um, you know, consciousness or whatever you want to call it, is that we don't have mass. We're just energy. So it kind of same. You, you kind of seems like you're saying the same oh, yeah. thing. I'm saying exactly that. No mass at all. No matter. There was no. I had no. No. No matter. There were no quarks. No atoms, no molecules, no nothing, no DNA. Just I was I describe it as and everything I say about it is metaphor. Okay, because because this is a place of timelessness and no language, and there are no things, and I'll, I'll talk about that in a second. But um, so I was a I, w- I had no I was an orb of consciousness. I was a containment of and all my senses um, were well. I, I didn't have any fingers. Or eyeballs, so I was I, I was uh, I have a I had a capacity to sense my location, sense information, but my sensation was also my thinking, was also myself. There was no separation between those things, and and I I, I described the place that I was as I described myself as no thing. I was no thing in a place of no thing, which is another way of saying nothing. So I was in the I was in the presence of nothing. But this nothingness was infinity, the fullness of love, the, the presence of all and all, all the all and everything that was ever made. But where I was, there were no things, just the presence of what the holy. All right. Um, I got to get one question in real quick because somebody asked me this in a comment and I just want to fulfill their wish is when you did see sure. the tunnel, was the tunnel a certain color? And, and I'll have a second question. I'll just let you answer that real quick. Sure. The, 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 what happened to me was I died Mm -hmm. and uh, my vision opened up to an expanse of darkness, but I could see in the darkness and way far in the distance was a pinprick of light that rushed toward me and communicated to me. I'm taking you with uh, telepathic information. And I resisted with all my might, like, Oh, I don't know what's going on here, but you're not taking me. And it just plucked me like a, like a daisy in a field. Mm -hmm. And I was enveloped and carried and comfortable in trusting. And the, so to answer the question, it was this expanse, but this expanse collapsed and and at the same time was still uncollapsed. So it was like a, uh, it's that wave particle thing again. It was two things at once. And so I guess the tunnel, you could say it was black, but I had no eyes to see with, I mean, like you have cones in your eyes to see color, but right. I didn't have any eyeballs. Right. So hard to say, really. I conceptualize it as black. And you kind of actually answered my second question because you had said that you were in a place of nothingness. And I was going to say, okay, nothingness did that also mean an absence of light? So were you in a, in a, in a black nothingness? I was in an infinite nothingness and in an infinite darkness. Mm-hmm. And here's the paradox. It was illuminated. So I could see, I could see the darkness, hmm. right? When you're in a, when you're in a dark room, uh, like if I shut off all my, I'm in a little tiny building and if I shut off all my lights, it's going to be pitch black in here. I can't see anything, but I could see there. And I was like having one, 
It was like my whole self was one huge eyeball. I could see every, every direction at once. Mm-hmm. And I could see deep into infinity, but I couldn't see the end of infinity. And I was surrounded like, like an ocean. I was like in the middle of an ocean of it. And it's so paradox, illuminated darkness. Mm. Um, and I was completely unafraid and, and absolutely comfortable. And the first thing that I realized was this was me. This is truly me. I never was Peter. I wore Peter like a like a coat, but it was never actually who I was or am today. I love that. Illuminated darkness. It's like a great title for a movie or a book or a song. Well, it's a concept that comes from the history of mysticism. After all this happened to me, I, I went and I studied the history of mysticism uh, in the West and in search of language. Mm-hmm. And I came across language here and there that helped me understand what happened to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I can't claim that I came up with the, the term illuminated darkness. I didn't, mm-hmm. but it aptly described my experience, which, which as it turns out, near-death experience is super similar to um, what this woman named Evelyn Underhill. She was a, a, a genius uh scholar in the beginning of last century and mysticism, what she called the, the genius mystics of the history of the West. People like um, Richard Rowley and uh, John Roosbrook and uh, Hildegard of Bengen and Meister Eckhart. Um, many of them went to a place similar to this. Well, similarly described as this. Mm-hmm. In, 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 to swing around to in the unitive state of being mm-hmm. self is obliterated. Okay. I know this is going to sound crazy, but do you have a definition of unitive for me to work with? Well, that's kind of what I'm trying to, to it's like a, it, it's been described as when you're in the unitive state of being, you are not there. Hmm. You can't, you can't, your intellect, your personality can't be present because all of that is a construct of your body. Hmm. And so when you, when you're bought, when you leave, when you're, when you're, outside your body in this state of oneness of being you can't actually be present in the in the way that you are now you can't because mm-hmm. all of that self understanding it's all based in the world yeah it's all based in our experience and that vanishes i guess that's also maybe why when people are in this place or or are in this state that's why they have a lot of bliss and they drop all their problems and all their worries and fears because that's leaving it behind kind of like you're saying when you drop your ego in some of the uh the hebrew scriptures they talk about the uh forgetfulness of the afterlife you forget your life in the afterlife that's kind of what it's like you it's not like you forget your life you forget yourself mm-hmm. yourself is is revealed to be yourself that you live with here is revealed to be your false self Mm-hmm. And it's and it's not like you have to think about it. It's just a it's self evident. It's apparent. Mm-hmm. People are like, "How do you know you're in the presence of God?" Well, it was just self evident. It's like, "Oh, oh. that's God." Ah. But just like, "Oh, Peter never was me." All right. So you mentioned earlier that you said that you heard. I think you described it as the voice. So one, are you saying that was God? And two, if you can just kind of on top of this, give me a little bit of background. Were you already a community pastor at that time? And so is that how you took that reference? 
Uh, no, it, I, I took that reference a long time before um, I ever went to divinity school uh, because it, that's what it, so I, I'm, I'm in this, this vast ocean mm-hmm. for la, for a metaphor um, of nothingness. And I've, I've, I'm infilled with the oneness of being. And, and I say without voice telepathically, uh, am I dead? And the, the voice says to me inside myself and outside myself simultaneously. So I'm in, I'm in, I'm inside the ocean of infinity mm-hmm. and the presence of the divine is absolutely present to me, but I can't see it. I can mm-hmm. see everything else, but it's like the whole place is the voice itself. Mm-hmm. And it's very present to me and it speaks inside me without language. Uh, it, it, no concepts, no, like in a sentence structure, you have, you know, the word after word after word after word it, that's not what it's like it's like whew, all information all at once and the information was yes you're dead mm-hmm. and um the voice I, I just call it the voice it was for lack of any other term but you are calling that god oh yeah yeah all right and um, god god okay no gender mm-hmm. no religion no, no old man with a white beard, none of that stuff, all of that gone. It, it's, it's, it's love times a trillion, bazillion, a trillion, a billion. It, it's, it's, it's so many, it's, it's love with so many zeros after it. If I was going to like mix math and, and language, it's just infinite zeros of love. That's amazing. I'm just kind of curious about this because you're in this place of nothingness, as you previously mentioned, and you don't see anything, but you don't hear anything, but then you do. I mean, is, is that kind of well, I'm saying if you're not really hearing it or you're just feeling his voice? Well, I don't have any ears. Right. So that's what I was saying when you just or you just so no ears. No. So so and plus I had no brain to process right. language either or thought it was I was uh, what you said energy that's a word to describe it uh, but that's also a metaphor because you know we can talk about electrons as energy mm-hmm. or, or kinetic energy and those are physical forms of things mm-hmm. but this is a an energetic form that had no electrons in it it was i was i was a a vibration of sound i was uh, a, a symphony of 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 music i was uh, uh a concept of uh the wholeness of all presence of love uh, and none of it I created all of it was created by creator. And, and so was me. So mm-hmm. is I, so am I a uh, creature created. And the, it, so it, it, I not only had my existence inside of this, I was made by it mm-hmm. and being made in the moment that I was there. And also I was shown that my my soul life and timelessness was long, eons and eons. I saw this long length of my soul, even though I was in timelessness. So it was like there's this the length of my of my soul was sort of shown to me in terms of time, while it was also shown to me that I was timeless. Hmm. It's very difficult to talk about, right. Um, would you say that you were one with the creator because it was inside you yes. and around you? 
Yes, but I was not the creator. I was still creature at that same time. But it was so, it was so, people, people ask me, well, is heaven boring? You know, what am I going to do there? Well, you don't have to do anything. Just be. It's just beingness. Right. It's beingness infilled to the capacity. For me, it was infilled to the capacity of my, of my energetic containment. Mm-hmm. It was completely infilled with the oneness of being. Mm-hmm. And, and the oneness of being isn't just one. It's all these things in the world that we separate. You know, we talk about goodness, bliss, healing, uh, wholeness, all these different fragmentations. All those things are smushed into oneness. Mm-hmm. So there's no separation between beauty and love. There's no separation between love and intellect or knowledge and understanding or joy and peace. It's all one thing. Mm. All right. So when you came back, did, did you already at that point radically change your life or did you kind of, yeah. okay, what happened after that? How, what kind of changes did you have? In the short term, I came back a very confused person. Um, I was disassociated from the world in a, in a radical way. Uh, I, I chose to come back um, when I said I choose to live my life because God had said I could come back to heaven. Uh, God said, you won't live your life and send me back. And um, I didn't live my life. I haven't lived my life. My life had ended and I began a new life. Like my timeline, I, my time to die was then. Hmm. And I asked to come back for the sake of my parents who are, who my dad just texted me. He's 90 years old now. Mm-hmm. He's been sick for two years, wow. um, getting better finally, but I came back for them. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I came back as an entirely different person inside my body. Mm-hmm. I, I, I was disoriented. I felt like, I was in a cartoon, a bad, a bad black and white cartoon. Uh, the world was so flat and so unattractive compared to the infinite beauty. Um, I, I lived in this in the space between these two worlds pretty strongly for a long time, not really having a foot firm in either one of them. And I, I was a college student and I was in a, in a touring theater company. And with it, two weeks of coming back, we left on a on a ten week national theater tour, mm-hmm. and so so now I'm on stage every night, um, and and I'm driving all over the country in the back of a pickup truck because I couldn't hang out in the van anymore, mm-hmm. and I dove in. I was so confused. I didn't know how to handle what was going on. I couldn't talk about it. I couldn't tell anybody. I didn't understand it myself. I dove into my meditative life. I had already been a meditator. And so I, I just dove into my meditative life and that became meditation became my, my strength in the world. And my, because it became my connection to heaven. Uh, and I used it as a form of, I, I still do as a form of prayer. Um, but I self emptying, not asking for anything, but just trying to um, be in the presence itself. And so I, I, <laughs> My life completely changed. I kept hearing inside me. I think the most radical thing that happened was there was the voice came back with me. It didn't stay on the other side. Uh, It came back with me and it wasn't. And on this side, it was like a roaring. It was like standing next to Niagara Falls with um, an amplifier, like a microphone head headgear and an amplifier uh, to the fall. So it was just the sound of the falls, but much louder. 
and it was it was always roaring inside of me and it was not a pleasant thing because i'm in the world and i've got this other thing inside of me uh calling me all the time calling calling my soul name not peter but just like calling me calling me calling me um remember me uh, pay attention to me uh, be present to me um me 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 not not in an ego sort of way but me give it away me give me away hmm. and so i found myself in a position of well i was pretty ticked off frankly hmm. i was being told to i was being told that i had a job and my job was to bring this bring this out and i was like you know, no way I'm not doing that. Mm. Um, and so I went into a state of rebellion while I pursued God. I was also in rebellion, uh, because I couldn't escape it. I couldn't shut it off. So I dove into it, but I swore I would never, uh, talk about it. Mm. So I didn't for 20 years. Wow. That's amazing. So when you had your second one, did you go back to the same place? basically in the same experience again? Sort of some of it. Um, I didn't go, I only went up halfway up the tunnel. And um, so long story short, uh, 2015, um, I have a heart attack. I'm in the ambulance. It's an, I live an hour, I live in a rural place. And so it's an hour and a half to the catheterization lab. So I die on the way. And uh, I, I go up, my angel of death comes for me again. And now I know my angel of death. Oh, a, a very big change from my first near-death experience is mm. utterly unafraid of dying. Mm. Uh, just no fear of death whatsoever. So I'm not afraid that I'm dying. I'm also not on any opiates because I can't take opiates. So I'm, I'm, I'm in my right mind. And I die and I go partway up the tunnel and the angel comes for me and come home. It's time for you to come home. The welcome, you know, come on, come on, come on. And I go I'm like, I'm out of here. So I go, I've been waiting to die. I've been waiting to die for 30 years and I get partway up and I think, well, this is taking a while and I know where I am and I know what's going on. I think, well, wait a sec. Let me, let me make sure everybody's good. So I, I kind of turn my mind back inside my body. I'm still outside. So I have no pain. I look back inside myself. And I see my son, who had come to the uh, the urgent care center to see me off, um, rushed over to the urgent care center. And um, he's, he leans into me and he grabs my hand. And he looks me in the eyes and says, I love you, dad. And my wife's there. And um, and I kind of wink at her. I'm like, I'm out of here, honey. You know, you know, first legit chance I get, I'm gone. And so I intended to go. But then I think about my son and I think, He's not really ready for me to go yet. And then I think about my daughter who just left her um, veteran husband who came back with moral injury and a bad situation. She had just left him and she's got a baby and, and she's, she's fled. We've, we've rescued her and, and now she's fled and she's coming north to us. And I'm like, who's going to protect her? Who's going to protect her? Who's going who's gonna to be the father for this granddaughter? Who's going to be the man? I'm like, I can't go now. So I, I look back up, I kind of turn back up to in, in the tunnel to the angel who had receded, who comes rushing back toward me. And I just turn away and I just go back in mm. like, like, I guess they, cause I, I'm not sure why they didn't drag me out. I just mm. did. They didn't. Um, 
And so here I am again. Um, and, and my granddaughter, she's five years old now. She's, and I picked her up this morning and I brought her to, you know, kindergarten and uh, I'm that guy in her life that I thought I would be. You know, and it seems like to me, it's all worth it. It's worth it. The other thing about it is too, Jeff, is that I know that the length of my physical life is the, is the wink of an eye. That's how fast it is. When I was dead, it was really clear to me that life is very brief. And one of the reasons that that, uh, God was trying to convince me to stay, uh, God showed me my parents um, and lots of other things, but showed me my parents and I could see their suffering. And the voice said to me, in the way that I love you now, you now know that I'd always loved you. uh, And the love is infinite. It's, I can't, I can't, I can't explain to people what that means. It's, it's so no, no one and nothing is ever lost. Everything, everyone is beloved. And because my parents are beloved and because time is so short in life, even though they suffer in the wink of an eye, that it's all going to be over and all is going to be great for them. They're all, they're coming around, they'll go right there and all will be healed and whole and it'll all be over. All their suffering will be ended. But I could also see, their lives with, with added suffering of my absence. Mm -hmm. And so I just didn't, I just couldn't, I couldn't take that. Um, I couldn't, I couldn't force them into that if I had a choice. Yeah. Um, You know, I just had a thought is what I find is interesting is that I learned somewhere that the human brain is incapable of really understanding infinity. And so, and, and just to kind of piggyback on what you're saying is that, you know, we just can't understand what you experienced. No, and that's that's the reason, one of the reasons why I kept silence for so many decades, because how do I possibly tell people? Words, words, there are no words in heaven. How can words explain heaven if there are no words there? Yeah. Um, and so I, I didn't want to be perceived as a kook. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know from my studies that mysticism and insanity are can be mistaken one for the other <laughs> um and and so i didn't want to be in that boat yeah. um cuz i knew what happened to me i just didn't have any language to explain it which is why i went to divinity school hmm. uh i you know i had to i i you asked about radical change. I was going to be an architect. I was writing. I like. I wanted to be a writer, but the family business was architecture. My sister was in graduate school for architecture. I was going to go to graduate school for architecture, join the family firm, push a pencil, take pictures, write. You know, maybe write for uh, the, uh, the, you know, some journal mm-hmm. of architecture. And uh, I, you know, the expectation of my family was that I was going to go into the business, and then I didn't. Um, and I was, a, you know, like my sister, a key factor in it. So, you know, it really piqued my interest when you said that you were in theater. What happened to that? Um, well, I still did theater. Um, I, I, I did by the uh, probably during the 90s and the 2000s. I was doing some semi-professional acting in the state of Maine where I live. A lot of mostly stage um, all stage now that I'm thinking about it. But I did a lot of stage work. Um ministry you know uh, i was a performer so i preached every sunday when i was a, a community pastor and i brought i brought entertainment into it because i don't have uh, people like uh you, you you shouldn't church shouldn't be entertainment i'm like yeah that's the history of the church that's what it is um so 
I did crazy stuff. I, you know, I, I brought in chainsaws and I'm a stilt walker. I brought in my stilts and I did, I did performances. I did all this kind of stuff that nobody had ever seen before all because of my theater background. And mostly because I never, I never worked for the church. They always had this misconception that I, I worked for them. I never did. I, I I'm compelled to work for God. I work, I work for God. Um, and I, you know, someone else writes my check sometimes, but they don't, they don't work for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it kind of left me free to make all sorts of do all sorts of crazy stuff uh, that was fun i mean church was i i made it as fun as i possibly could for myself because mm-hmm. if i was bored then everybody else was going to be bored and if i wasn't bored then maybe they might have a good time and learn something yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me i read that when you came back from your second nde uh you were not were a non-believer but then you became uh, an ordained minister. So what was up with that? That was after my first NDE, but absolutely. Oh. Um, I, I, I came back with no beliefs at all. That was part of my disorientation. It wasn't just that I no longer believed in the Bible or Jesus. Mm-hmm. I didn't believe in anything. Um, I had a hard enough time in the world. The world was the place where I had to try to learn to believe in the world. Uh Um, because it was so much like an illusion to me, so much like a cartoon to me. So my, uh, my, my belief in, in culture in politics, um, in, uh, society, all of that was gone. I was, I was like a baby. Uh Um, and, and like, Oh, that's weird. You, you have to wear clothes. You have to eat food. You have to cut your hair. You have to do this. You have to, why do you have to do those things? You have to use energy to go somewhere. You can't think about it and be there. Uh, all of this was sort of very disorienting for me. And one of the things was that uh, religion vanished for me. And it was like, I describe it as like, I have a, a motherboard and in my motherboard, I've got uh, chips and, and my belief chip was removed. And not only was the belief chip removed, the holes where it was put in, they were gone too. And instead, um, I had a, a I was uh, connected by an optic cable to the cloud. Mm-hmm. So my my uh, it, it, heaven was real to me. Heaven was the real is the real place to me with a capital R. This place is is not. And so I made a choice. I went. I, I came back. I went on this theater tour. Uh, I was an exchange student, and then I went back to my university in Massachusetts the next year, and I took a class in East West. Uh, mysticism at, at UMass Amherst, and I made a I made a conscious choice that year to study Christianity because I had studied some Buddhism, some uh, some Lao Tzu, some uh, Taoism, some Hinduism, uh, Shintoism. I studied a bunch of different things, and I realized that there are mystics in all these different cultures. Rumi, Hafez, um, you know, the Upanishads, uh, Pantajali Sutras, Buddha. Uh, There was mysticism all over the place. My cultural context was Christianity. And there are mystics in Christianity. I mean, of equal status to Rumi. Um, And so if I was going to try to understand what happened to me, I may as well use the culture that was around me. And so I, I, I intentionally went into Christianity uh, not to become an ordained minister, which is what happened to me, um, but I went into it to study the history of Western mysticism in order to create a language inside my own head to understand what happened to me and 
defined tools of historic useful tools of a prayer life that I could apply to myself so I could I could bring myself into the presence as much as I possibly could in life. And 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 I I ended up uh, coming across coming across autobiography of a yogi mm. um which changed my in- entire in prayer life. So I combined uh, centering prayer which is a type of uh, meditation developed in Massachusetts uh, by a, a monk, but he had studied with the monastery had studied with Sasaki Roshi Zen and, and um, Maharishi Mahayogi TM and Trappist Trappist meditation. They came up with centering prayer, and that happened to be what I had already learned when I was a, I went to Catholic school, and I combined that with my yoga life. I started doing yoga. And I drove myself interiorly back to the divine mm. with effort and striving. And that enabled me to function in the world. And, and while I found those tools when I was in divinity school and before and after, I, I then gathered up all these concepts. And uh, the dean, Yale, Yale didn't teach mysticism. Uh, I, the dean, uh, one of the deans allowed me three years of an independent study under her tutelage, studying across the university. She found money for me to um, uh, hire a professor and to create classes and that kind of stuff. I never told her what was really going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of this, or halfway through two years into it, she said, you know, I think you'd be a good minister. I think you ought to, you think about that. And so, you know, she'd been great to me. So I gave it a shot. And next thing I knew, I was, you know, a a United Church of Christ congregational minister in New England, um, hiding out inside the church, uh, practicing my mystical life in a place that had no place for mysticism. Um, And then I had a baby. And when you have a baby, you stay with the job you have because, you know, you got a baby. So um, I ended up staying in the ministry for a long, long time. And it was the, it was the, like Charles Dickens, the best of times and the worst of times. Some terrible, terrible things happened mm-hmm. and some beautiful things happened. Um, but I never, I, I, to be a Christian, you, you have to be a believer. And I am not a believer. Hmm. I don't have any belief. I, I know that I'm known by the knower. I, I know that I, there's not a moment of my life since the first near-death experience where that ever shuts off. People are like, Oh, you, you had a near-death experience. Yes, I had a near-death experience. But it's not something that is like located back, like I had a fifth birthday party, yeah. you know, way back in history. You know, it's present to me now always. It's always present to me. And part of that, you know, that may, maybe that wouldn't have happened to me if I didn't dive into it so deeply, but it was out of desperation. So maybe I, maybe I made it so that it's always present to me. Um, I don't really know. You know, if I had been 40 years out of this and kept it quiet and become an architect and ignored it, whether I'd I'd have the spiritual uh, mojo that I have now, maybe I would, maybe I wouldn't. I don't know. But I do know that that the tool set that was left behind for centuries and centuries and centuries by mystics all over the freaking world. They all use the same technique applied in different variations, which is breath and mental focus 
to self-empty and listen, to get out of the way, to allow space for the divine inside you. And that be, that became my pursuit. That's been my 40-year pursuit. And, and I kept that a secret for most of my life, too, until maybe three or four years ago, what I was actually really doing with my, my interior life. Um, so I was a congregational minister for a long time, community pastor, um, helping the poor, working in homeless shelters, uh, you know, trying to trying to live a life of compassion and um, battling, ba- battling for gay rights. And, all, you know, because because God has no gender. Mm-hmm. So what are we all hung up about? Um, that was great. I'm go just, ahead. Uh, I, I, I kind of run that. Questions come, <laughs> like, questions come and go. And but then I keep paying attention and then I forget the question because I'm, I'm still locked into what you're saying. Um. One thing I wanted to say was, and I'm, I want to go back and get this later when we edit this, is I love the way that you put it together as put yourself aside and you just have breath, you know, breath and mental focus to put yourself aside so you can let the divine in. I'm not sure exactly what your words were, but I think you know what I'm talking about. Close enough. Yeah. So, so the, 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 one, the one thing that's in the way I discovered for myself, the only thing that was in the way of between me and God was me. Mm. I'm in my own way. Mm. And because, because of my, you know, I'm in, I'm inside the veil. Mm. The veil isn't just the world. The body is the veil. The five senses are the veil. The, uh, and so I'm, it's sort of like being in the matrix. You know, when, when all the people in the, in the matrix movies, they don't know that they're in the matrix. Um, kind of like, I'm kind of, it's kind of like that. I know that I'm in the matrix. And I know that I have all these limitations and I know that my ego was not really me. I came back knowing that, that every concept I had about Peter myself, it's not myself. So how do I, how do I get past that? It, it, you get past it by getting out of the way, by, by, instead of by, by listening for silence, by entering in, in the, in the Psalms, it says uh, the still small voice you're listening for the still small voice inside yourself, which is not yourself because yourself is loud. Yourself is noisy. It's that, you know, the proverbial monkey mind people talk about mm-hmm. a mental focus practice with breath. Il- uh, eliminates the false self. You die a little death. Every time you, every time you're able to through mental focus, have your mantra, your sutra, your prayer fall away, and you're just observing your breath. When you're not thinking about observing your breath, you're just observing your breath. That's a moment of being in the now. Mm-hmm. And every moment that you're in the now is like a, a, a grain of, of nowness is accumulating in your pile inside yourself. Another grain of now, another grain of now, and they never go away. And so the, the idea is the, the false self doesn't want to die. It wants to remain in control of your life and you need it like you, to earn a living and to run a microphone and, you know, do editing. You right. got to have a, an ego, right? Um, but you can also learn to shut it off and create an open space and emptiness. You can't get the fullness of the divine until you have an emptiness inside yourself. Uh, and, and the divine can do that to you without your effort. But um, the practice is a practice of self-emptying. Dying to self is called in the Christian, in the Christian tradition. Hmm. You die to yourself. Or, or is thy will be done, not my will be done. That's the same thing. Ah, uh, yeah, it makes sense. 
Now, you mentioned that there were mystics in Christianity, and I guess Christianity can be mystical. So can you give me examples of that? Like, who were the mystics and like examples sure. of mystical Christianity? Uh, it's hard to give examples of mystical Christianity because it was it was never very cohesive. Um, it was always, uh, or more frequently, isolated inside monastic settings. Hmm. So individuals became mystics, like Meister Eckhart, uh, Hildegard of Bengen, uh, John Rusbrook, uh, Teresa of Avila, St. John of the Cross, uh, Richard Rowley, um, my, um, Thomas Merton from the 20th century, hmm. um, Padre Pio from the 20th century, uh, the, 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 the greater and the lesser Teresa's. Um, Catherine of Genoa, there's a whole long list of these people in the West mm -hmm. and in the Eastern church, there's a whole Eastern Orthodoxy. There's, uh, Simon Stylitis, uh, Theophane, uh, there's a whole bunch of them over there too, but, but they're not, mystics are always dangerous mm. for the church. They're actually dangerous for any political structure because like me, the, the, the structure doesn't matter anymore. Mm -hmm. Once you've been to the oneness of being. All the all the formalities and dogmas and doctrines are they're nothing. Mm. They don't the theology doesn't matter. And so, if you have those people out in the general population, it's disruptive to the power structure. And so, they were generally kept within monastic settings where they where they could excel, excel in their spirituality, and it was often uh, supported by the powers that be in the church. But they just didn't want them out in the public. Mm. So. And, and once the once the Eastern Orthodox Church split from the Catholic Church, and then the Catholic Church split into Protestantism, by the time it got to Protestantism, mysticism, with the exception exception of the Quakers, and like the Pentecostals, it's it's gone. It's mm. like nobody is. It's not. It's heresy. It can be heresy because I'm a heretic, according mm. to a lot of evangelicals. Most of them. Anybody who reads anything I say, I'm a heretic. Right. You mentioned before that you're a non-believer. Are you still a non-believer? I can't be a believer. Once, once it's like saying, it's like, um, what's it like? It's, I don't have to believe. Right. I, I've been there. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, I, you might believe in, what can you believe in that you could... You could believe that the moon was made of cheese until you go there. Once you go to the moon, you know that it's made of rock right. and um, nobody can convince you otherwise. And that's kind of the way it is. The, the world is made of cheese for me. Mm -hmm. This is the place where I have to like struggle with, with um, passing. Mm -hmm. I spent a lot of, I spent a lot of my life just passing for normal, like right. hoping people wouldn't find out how eccentric I actually am. Right. And the in in that my experience uh, makes me dislocated in time. I'm always like, I'm always seeing my life before it happens, not mm -hmm. far in the future, just just before it happens. I'm always I live in this place of deja vu much of the time, not all the time, mm -hmm. but most of the time. I'm like, well, I'm always sort of disoriented in time and space. Tell that to tell that to your doctor, mm -hmm. and see what happens. Yeah. We might give you a prescription for that. <laughs> yeah, or worse. Yeah, no kidding. 
Let me ask you this. So if you're a non-believer, I'm just trying to figure out what your beliefs are. Um, how does Jesus fit in with all this? Because I feel okay, like you so, have God, but you know, where does Jesus come into play? Good question. So I went to Catholic high school, a, pri- a private Catholic high school, and every year we read the, a gospel, freshman, sophomore, junior, senior. So G- I, I was familiar with Jesus and the story because we read and studied the gospels. When I came back from my near-death experience, and when I opened up the Bible, because for the first time, it's like suddenly I saw that Jesus was like me. Hmm. Jesus wasn't who I thought he had been. Hmm. He sounded to me exactly like I was thinking, like a near-death experiencer, like someone who had actually been in heaven. Hmm. And so I you know, went to divinity school. And so I dove into that work. And, and as I worked through all the, all the, the, the passages that I worked through, he, it's, he's always like throwing light all over the place. And so I, 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 I hear him in the scriptures. And, and when I say the scriptures, I'm going to include all the non-canonical texts, the Apocrypha, and all of the non-canonical texts. I, my, my, my area of Christian study is not just the Bible. It's much broader than that. Um, but he sounds like a code switcher. Are you familiar with code switching? No, I haven't. Um, I'm sure you are. You might not know the term, but I know that all Americans are because, you know, Spanglish is code switching. Franklish. Oh, okay. in, my, in my life, there was Greeklish, mm-hmm. Armenianlish. Right. Um, it's when you speak two languages at the same time in the same sentence and you maintain the same syntax for each language, but you, but you speak two languages at once. Mm-hmm. Jesus, to my ear, was speaking is a code switcher and he was speaking Aramaic and metaphor. He's always talking in metaphor and everybody, nobody has this a clue that that's what he's talking about. Cause uh, maybe nobody was like, there were no scholars talking about symbol myth and metaphor in his day, but he's, he spoke in metaphor all the time and he, a, a great teacher. So I, he's, he's my main teacher. He's not my guru. I only have one guru and that my guru is God. Right. Um, Jesus is my, uh, my main teacher. And, and because of the cultural context of my new England upbringing, it seemed to me the best way to try to follow the, the, imp- the imposed um, compulsion to bring the light into the world as best I possibly could is to use the one that was most popular and that's Jesus. Hmm. So, 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 you know, do I think he was savior of the world and took on the sins of the world? I do not. I do not. Let me ask you this because in a previous podcast I had uh, with somebody who had studied the Bible for 30 years, studied in Indies, I believe for 20 years and his belief, the resurrection of Christ is an NDE. And I think what happened to Paul along somewhere, I think where he got uh, yeah, stoned, Paul, that's also an NDE. What are your thoughts on that? It's either an, it, with Paul, it was either an NDE or it was a full unitive experience, mm-hmm. mystical experience. It was one or the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, and NDEs are mystical experiences. They're part of the same mm-hmm. rubric. Mm-hmm. Um, did Jesus, was Jesus's resurrection an NDE? I don't know. Maybe doesn't matter. doesn't matter to me mm-hmm. because before he died, he still sounds like he died. It sounds, it sounds to me when I read his words, 
um, when I in the Gospel of Thomas and the Gospel of Mary and the Gospel of John, he sounds to me, even though I know that those books were written by people much later with their own interpretations on them, his his language sounds mystical to me. He sounds like a mystic. He sounds like maybe he died when he was 12. Maybe he was he died at birth. I have no idea, but but that's what he sounds like to me. And I, I, I'm I'm super less interested in all of the theological debates uh, and all and, and linking this part of the Bible to that part of the Bible. And, the, and all, uh, I'm much more interested in trying to parse exactly what he was saying, um, because because when I understand what he's saying, he's saying that the most powerful energy in the world is love and that he didn't come to break open heaven for us, but to show that, that it's actually always here. It's always here. Now it's within you, among you and between you. He says all the time, it's always here. You just have to have eyes to see it. You have to open your eyes to see it. And, and for most people, and I know I took a shortcut, Jeff, like I know I took a, I call it the cheater's route. I took a cheater's route and I had this, you know, this experience that radically changed my life um, and put me in a different place. But I'm not, a, I, uh, I know that most people have to begin with belief, um, but experience is where it's at. Yeah. Knowledge isn't the place. Yeah. I think that's true with almost everything really. Oh experience yeah. Experience over everything. Since we're talking about Christianity, I want to segue into this about your Not Church Sundays. That is on your YouTube channel and that is live. Yep. I caught some of that and I enjoyed it. And um, I honestly, I didn't grow up in a religious family. I never really went to my family, didn't go to church. If I went to church, it's because I spent the night at a friend's house and they went to church. So I really never was a church pro person, but I enjoyed your program. And I um, recommend well, I recommend people to come see it. And I want to. And you were talking about love, and I was thinking about this forgiveness and turning the other cheek. Um, at the beginning of your program, you were talking about that, and I was curious, and I want to know your thoughts on this. I understand forgiveness because people warring with each other. At some point, someone's going to forgiving, start forgiving, or the war is never going to end. But at some point, also. You know, the, the notion of turning your other cheek and whatever, I mean, is it really, is that a really doable thing? Because if you do just forgive and turn the other cheek, maybe some other country will just run you over and take you over. And then that will be yeah, the so, end of Yeah, so country. that particular example, turn, turn the other cheek, yeah. um, was actually a way to stick it to the Romans. Hmm. So that it, was, it was active resistance. So when the idea is that um, if you slap someone, if I'm going to slap you on the face, so I'm going to reach out, I'm going to slap you and take my right hand because left hand, this is important to know, left hand is taboo. Right. You can't touch anybody with your left hand. It's your, it's your, it's your toilet hand. Right. And so it's like you can't eat with this hand. You can't touch anybody with this hand. It's totally taboo. So you got to slap somebody across the face, right? Reach out. I slap you across the face. And now when you turn your cheek, so you, you, you're slapped this way. Um, you, if you turn your cheek this way, I, I can't hit you with this hand again. I got to hit you with my left hand. 
So it's like it's like flipping it's like flipping the finger. Like so so this is a this is yeah, you can slap me again, but you have to break the taboo to do it. Ah. So yeah. bad on you at the same time. So it's not so, you know, turning the other cheek isn't like giving in. And and I want to say that this whole this whole concept of Jesus meek and Jesus mild there's a couple of scenes in the Bible where he's not meek and he's not mild. Hmm. He's kind of aggressive and uh, kind of mean. Um, So, so I, I got bullied when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. Hmm. I forgive bullies and I don't hate bullies, but I'll definitely stand up to them. So I don't think that that's the same thing. Hmm. You can, you can love somebody. You can love somebody and still fight against them. You don't have to hate them to fight them. You don't have to hate them to stand up for what's right. And you can actually forgive them for their own wounds that make them do what they do and still try to stop them from doing it because the action is hurting other people. So I, I've been in situations like that. And in my physical world, I have, I, have, I have intervened in violent situations to stop violent people at my own risk willing to fight but not judge them for their own for their pain and so forgiveness forgiveness is is love itself forgiveness is love and it unburdens us from carrying all the emotional pain it's when you forgive a person it's not it you don't forgive and forget first of all that's nobody forgives and forgets okay because you never forget no. But you can forgive and unburden yourself from carrying the um, the anger, the emotional baggage, the emotional um, the resentment memory. That's the word I'm looking for. Yeah, you can forgive. If you can forgive, you don't have to carry the resentment. If you can forgive, you don't have to carry the grudge anymore. Because grudges and resentment they're very heavy. It's it's anger only hurts you. It doesn't hurt the other person. And so forgiveness isn't always about them. It's, it's about yourself and your relationship to yourself. Um, so, so let me think this morning, I dropped off my five-year-old and um, I made a mistake. I didn't get her mask on her face is before I got her to the elementary school and the teacher had to help. And the teacher's very gracious, but I could see that my granddaughter was upset at me. Um, and I drove away, I drove away like, oh my God, oh my God, I made her mad at me. I made her mad at me. And I realized I was creating this scenario inside my head, whether she was mad at me or not, didn't really was immaterial. I was creating this emotional thing inside of myself. I was worried. And and then I got home and I meditated for 20 minutes. I'm like, uh, so I didn't get a mask on. I could release myself from the, from the burden of carrying that all day long, Mm -hmm. um, that's what forgiveness does. It releases ourselves from carrying the burdens that we don't need to carry anymore. I see we're up, we're already in an hour mm-hmm. and um, that was really fast. Yeah. I mean, I could talk to you for hours and I mean that, you know, we, I, it always, I'm not going anywhere. If you always, hang. Well, I gotta just cut it off because that, but I want to just give you, I want to talk a little bit more before I go. I want to talk a little bit more about your church. So I want everybody to know what is your YouTube channel? And I'm going to put it in the link anyways, but right. for, for people who are listening, because some people may be just listening to this on Spotify or Apple or whatever, what is your channel? My channel's name is Peter Panagore. 
Okay. Uh, but I call what I do not church because it's not church. Um, because what I'm doing is I, I, I take the scriptures and I look for the light inside them from a mystical perspective of near-death experience. And my, my perspective is, is, you know, it's radically different from pretty much anybody else I know or read about. And I, I try to, um, it's not a theological exploration of the biblical texts. It's looking at the words and saying, oh, yeah, when Paul, when Paul had that experience in Damascus, that was a mystical experience. And here's how we can see that in his writings. Um, I know, and now I know in part that I will know face to face in full. Um, things like that, that, that he wrote about. And I can, I can pull those things out. So basically what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to use the cultural stories that the majority of Christians are familiar with as shortcuts for explanations to get people to uh, a mystical understanding of the, the light that's hidden inside the words of Jesus. But in particular, what I'm trying to do in Not Church is do this other thing. So that's like the overlay. That's what that's the structure I'm trying to do is is help people transform their thinking about what about because Christianity has become this um, these shackles, this this calcification, this concrete locked in thing, and it's not that at all. It's it's only always about the divine presence here and now in the moment, always present, and learning to have access to that inside yourself. And so inside of not church, what I try to do is uh, channel the presence of the divine by getting out of the way so that other people can bring their own experience of the divine and together we magnify it. So one of the things Jesus said is that um, where two or more are gathered, I am there. And everybody's like, oh, Jesus is there. And no, that's not what he's saying. He's talking about the I am. He's talking about the, the divine itself. Whenever two people who are, who are experiencers of the divine are present, there's a third party there. And that third party is the divine self that we all are made of now. And we can magnify each other. So I try to create in not church uh, an experiential platform of transformation. I use knowledge as a mechanism to try to help do that. But really what I'm trying to do is get people to, to be present so that they can experience the divine right then. Hmm. Um, the One of the side effects of or after effects that I've worked on and tried to enhance in my mystical life is, uh, the, is that, to communicate directly the light itself by, by getting out of the way so it can flow out through me. Cause it's, it's, I want to make sure that I say this, that it's never, ever been about me um, because Peter, Peter is this body that I live inside of. I'm like a, I'm like a projection inside myself. Um, that's how it, uh, how I experience my reality. It, and it, it's always only about the nameless ineffable oneness of being the love above the, 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 the wondrous creator. There's a million names. Um, and it's experiential, not church's intent is to, is to get people to feel the presence so that then they can pursue it on their own. One thing I want to let people know is that you do this live so you can catch him live when he does this or, and then it's going to be recorded. So if you're not there live, you can still see it. Uh, so two things, when do you do this live? And two, do you prefer people to be there live or it doesn't matter? 
I'm sure you want people. Well, I have to a catch reason the... to have it on live. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um. It's 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 on 10 a.m. on Sundays Eastern time in the United States. Eastern time, 10 a.m. on Sundays, and it's live because, um, because I like live. I like live. Mm-hmm. You know. Um. I I I spent 15 years in television. Um, the last 15 years, I, I pre-recorded shows every day. I was on, a, I had a TV show for 15 years and it was always pre-recorded and that was fine. You know, standing in the studio with the producer, it was cool, but live audience is much more energetic. And so um, what I usually do is I talk for, I prepare a piece for 10 minutes and then I talk for another five minutes without any preparation. And then I open the floor up for conversation. And we use we use the chat to have a conversation. People ask me questions or they, they talk among themselves. They help each other out. Like I, I have this question. Oh, I can answer that while I'm doing something else. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the live forum. And then, yeah, people watch it afterwards. And, and, and what they say, because well, I've been polling people with a, uh, with a poll, the, is, the, is that they experience the, the energetic presence of God when it's live and when it's recorded. And that's what, that's what I experienced in TV is that, you know, I, I had two minutes every single morning on two NBC stations to write a sacred story just before and it got broadcast just before the weather. And um, if I meditated while I wrote, and if I go into the, if I went in the studio and I meditated before I, I recorded, and then I, I, I aimed my 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 like my second chakra and my eyes and my soul into the divine and out and kind of got out of the way then the the light itself penetrated the lens and people would write to me from all over Buddhists and atheists and and uh, uh, Jewish people and Christians and it didn't really matter it was you know like I, you know there's something special going on here I everybody the baby stops crying when you come on tv or and and i know i know that it's the divine light moving through the lens and so it can be captured on tape so you can watch it after um but really it's the whole point of the whole thing is to help you find your own way into it and then you don't need me anymore i think it's great it seems like it's more of a community thing as well when it's live oh yeah it is totally a community thing. Mm-hmm. And I am trying to, there's a much bigger picture going on here too. Um, the, I am trying to form a community of people, mm-hmm. of seekers, of near death, a bunch of near death experiencers come to it. Mm-hmm. Um, a bunch of uh, mystics come to it of all different, there's lots of, lots of mystics in the world, many more than um, people suspect. And I, we could talk about that some other time, but there's a global phenomenon going on being driven by near death experience through science mm-hmm. is bringing back the dead. And there are tens of millions of us in the United States alone and all over the world. And we're all starting to talk to each other. There's a global spiritual awakening happening and it's driven by medical science. And uh, that's a, that's a real thing. I'm not like age of Aquarius kind of, this is the dawning of it. It's, this is what's going on. It's, it's been going on for 50 years and now we're discovering each other. And what I'm trying to do in not church is take the lid off of near death experience as a mystical experience so that other people can talk about their mystical experiences. Because one of the things I discovered and after I stopped television, I, I traveled around new England for a couple of years, two years, 18 months preaching in these little churches. And I would quiz people out. turns out that half the people in the congregations had visitations from the dead Hmm. and and it changed their grieving 
and they never talk about it in church because it's kooky. 50% of the people can't talk about their spirituality in the very place where they're supposed to be able to talk about it, which led me to the conclusion that there's a lot of people like that in the world. And so I want to give them freedom of voice Mm -hmm. because I want to normalize, I want to normalize mysticism, not just among the, the, the fringe, but with, with, across professions, across socio socioeconomic platforms, across races, because everybody's got a story. So let's take the lid off it. I know you have one Facebook page for sure, because you're kind enough to let me post my NDE podcast there. And then I believe that's called uh, Near Death Experience Videos. But do you have any other Facebook pages? And besides YouTube, are, um, are there any other places that you interact with the public? Yes. Um, I have uh, my personal Facebook page and I've got a, excuse me, a, a Facebook page that's also my name, Peter Panagor, and that's my professional page. It's where I put up my videos and that kind of stuff. So you can find, I'm searchable on Facebook, mm-hmm. um, Twitter, I have peterpanagor.love. I do counseling uh, globally. Globally, I do counseling. Uh, I had a client today from California. I, I, what's my counseling all about? I do some pastoral counseling, but mostly what I do is mystical counseling. I help people understand their, what happened to them and their mystical experiences. Uh, I, I, I have a client, a regular client in uh, Salt Lake city, who's a professor of biology, hmm. very science oriented. And, and he, we, we have deep conversations about, um, about spirituality. I provide a, I provide a place for people whose culture does not allow them to talk about these things. He's a Mormon. He's not supposed to talk about these scientists. He's not supposed to talk about these things, but he can talk about them to me. So I do counseling. That's at peterpanagor.love. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I just started a TikTok page. I have no idea what I'm doing or whether that's even <laughs> where I should be. Um, but I figured out what the heck I'll give it a shot. I'll see, see what that is. Um, who knows how that's going to turn out? Oh, I should, I should say I'm also making a movie. Um, oh, wow. so my, my, my second book has been per, uh, optioned for a film and we're deep involved, deeply involved in it. And, um, I should be finished writing the, uh, kind of a narrative construct for the scriptwriter by Christmas. Hmm. Um, and so that's going on too. Well, besides the not church and the film you're working on, do you have any other projects that you want us to know about? Uh, yes. Uh, counseling and, um, my next, my next book, uh, called, um, modern mysticism and you, uh, at least that's the working title right now. Hmm. Uh, and, and so that's gonna, once I finish this book, this, uh, this movie thing, um, my part of it, and then the producers go off and do their thing. I'm going to, I'll go back to the book again, but not church is my main thing at the moment. It's where I'm, where I'm most accessible. Um, and, I'd love to see people there. And I, and I respond to everybody. I, everybody who comments, I give thoughtful replies to. So I'm, I'm very interactive. I could have sworn on the one I uh, last listened to. You started 30 minutes later. You mentioned something for people on the West coast. I did. I did. I, we were starting, we were starting at nine 30, but I moved it to 10. Oh, okay. So you didn't move it to 10. 
Great. Yeah, that, that's kind of it. Yeah, well, it's because I, I, I quizzed the Europeans. We have a bunch of Europeans who come mm-hmm. and um, they're like, a half an hour doesn't make any difference to us. It's the middle of the day. Um, but the Californians, Californians are like, you know, 930 in the morning, that's 630 our time. So I could do seven, but 630 is not so good. So mm-hmm. we pushed it up a half an hour and that's where it's going to stay. Oh, okay. That's great. All right, Peter, time just flew by. And I don't have a lot of time left for you, but can you give us one last message to go with before you go? Yeah. The treasure of life is love. That's the thing that you get to carry home with you. And the more you love, you give away, the more it comes back and stays with you. So you give it away, you you give it to yourself. And when people give it to you, you get to keep that too. And, and love, love weighs more than anything else. So on a scale... Love is love is the thing that's going to get you through. It's going it, to it, it's the thing. It's the treasure of heaven. Love each other, because God is love. Yeah, that's a that's great it. message. That's really great. Thank you, Peter. This was an awesome podcast. I really enjoyed it. I hope I can have you back again someday because I know there's a lot more we can talk about. I would love that, Jeff. I think I think we'd have a great time. I I enjoyed it. Not only not only did I, I thank you for having me on. I I, I enjoyed your company too. So oh, thanks. Yeah, likewise. All right. Well, have a good night, my friend. You too. Peace and love, everybody. All right. Bye bye.